Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? It's nice to see all of you here. My name is Adam. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors, and really glad you're with us today for a very special Sunday. That's why I'm dressed like this. It is Baptism Sunday, and uh, so we're going to have an awesome time today celebrating life change in people's hearts, and that song that we just sang, There's Nothing Else, um, such a perfect song to lead into what we're going to talk about today. If I sound a little bit strange, it's because this week, I evidently became an official St. Louisan. I am now experiencing for the first time in my life seasonal allergies. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. In fact, I started earlier today, the early service, very strong out of the gate. And about two-thirds of the way in, it all just wore off. Whatever, whatever medicine worked this morning just kind of was gone. And uh, <clears throat> it was very hard to make it through <laughs> the rest of the message. So uh, normally I would be um, out in the auditorium or in the lobby uh, between the services talking with people like I was before the first service, but I just, I just had to take a break and, and sip lots of water and try to, try to make it through as best as I can. So I'm not asking for your sympathy, but I want to explain if it sounds like I'm going hoarse or uh, something else is going wrong up here, that's all it is. It's just allergies. How many times have you had to tell that to people, right? <laughs> it's just allergies, okay? <laughs> There's nothing to be worried about. I hope. We are talking, <laughs> keep laughing, I'm gonna take a drink. Ooh, thank you. <clears throat> we are talking about the parables. We're in this series. It's been really wonderful, and um, I'm excited to talk about some parables with you today that have to do with this idea of, of really nothing else but Jesus, making Jesus a priority in our lives. It's so important for us. And I wanna do that just first by telling you a little bit about my history. <clears throat> See, I remember the day really well when I committed my life to full-time vocational ministry. And I say full-time vocational ministry to be very specific because I really believe that every follower of Jesus should be in full-time ministry. Now, I'm not saying that all of you need to like suddenly become part of the church staff or something like that. When I say that, um, we do need some of you to work normal jobs to help provide for the church so that the you know, church staff can do what the church staff do. But what I mean by that is every follower of Jesus, whether you are paid to do it or not, should be in full-time ministry because everything you do flows out of your love for Jesus and the transformation that he's made in your life and the impact that you then have on other people because of what he's done for you. So whether you're at home with your family or at school <clears throat> or at work, whatever it is you do, you have an opportunity to minister to other people. You're in full-time ministry. But I remember the day when I committed my life to full-time vocational ministry as a career, as my job. It was in northern Michigan at a, a summer camp. It was in this big lodge, this really beautiful wooden lodge. It was, it was really big. It could hold hundreds of people. And there was a speaker that day, one of my favorite speakers at this camp, I went year after year, who talked about David's mighty men. And he he talked about the fact that these mighty men, which if you're not familiar with these warriors who went around with David, the Bible calls them the mighty men of David. It's incredible stories. And um, they were all in for David. They would give their life for him. They would risk everything for him. They were so loyal to him. And the question that day to us was, are you all in for Jesus? Are you all in for God? Not just sort of the casual Christian, I, I go on Sundays and the rest of the week I kind of live for me. No, no, no. Are you all in like everything for Jesus? And the way I heard that that day and what I think God was communicating to me was, are you, are you so all in that you're gonna commit your career to me? Not just to be a Christian in a marketplace career, but to actually go be in a 
full-time ministry job somewhere. And, and, and so I did. I committed that day to do that with my life. And I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know what that would mean. Does that mean that I'm going to go be a missionary in, in Africa or in China? And I considered that for many years. And I, I did some missions work in both those places. Um, it, does that mean I'm going to be in a parachurch ministry and that's going to be my job? And I did that for many years. Or does that mean eventually I'm going to be a pastor? What, what does that look like? And, and I've thankfully been able to be involved in all of those different things in my life. But it was such a distinct moment when I remember committing to saying, I am going to be all in with this thing. Not just a casual relationship with Jesus, but this is something I'm going to do with my life and with my career and everything I do. See, I was starting to realize something at that camp that summer that Jesus doesn't just want us to be casual Christians. He doesn't just want us on Sundays. He wants our whole life. He wants us to be all in. He wants sold out Christians. We're gonna be his followers in everything. Since the time of Jesus, people have been trying to water down what it means to be a follower of him, right? It's just show up on Sunday or it's just give money or it's just do enough good to outweigh the bad or it's just be better than those people. And if you do that, then you're doing good. If you're generous, maybe that counts for something. But that is not at all what Jesus told us. Jesus actually pushed people like that away. He actually made it harder for those people to follow him because that's not the type of follower that he was looking for. He wanted followers who would go through this radical life change to put him first in everything they did so that nothing else mattered but him. And today we're going to read two parables where Jesus is trying to communicate this to his potential disciples. In fact, we're going to see he's, he's walking along and there's a crowd that's following him. He's going to turn around and say something radical to them, something that probably scared many of them off, if we're being honest. But it's so, so powerful. He didn't sugarcoat what it meant to follow him. It could be dangerous. It could be discouraging. It could be isolating. It could be a lot of really bad things. And the question that we have to ask today, just as they had to ask back then, is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it to truly follow Jesus? Not just from a distance, but to get up close and to put him first above so many other things in life that we hold on to so dearly. If you've got your Bible with you, turn to Luke chapter 14. If you wanna follow along online, you can do that at efree.org slash Bible. And by the way, welcome to all of you watching online right now. Um, we, we know a lot of people, probably about maybe half and half or still maybe even more than half are watching online. More and more people are coming in person and feeling comfortable doing that. I know I've talked to some of you today who this is your first time back or the first couple of weeks back in over a year. So welcome, we're glad you're here, welcome back. Thank you for being here. I heard, had someone say after the first service that after coming back and been being gone for a long time, there's really just no comparison just to be with other believers together. So whenever you're ready, we're, welcome for you. we're welcoming you to come back. Um, if you need to stay away for now, we understand, uh, but we love the gathering of the, the body of Christ together. Um, efree.org slash translate is another website I'll tell you about. Um, if you need to follow along with a message in another language, if that's more comfortable for you, please go there. You can choose your language, and this will get translated uh, live into other words that you can read if that's helpful for you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is in Galilee, and he's gradually making his way down to Jerusalem. And as he's going, there's a crowd that's following him. And so he turns around at one point, and this is in verse 25 of Luke 14. There's a large crowd that's following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison 
hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. The version we're reading is the New Living Translation, which I really love, and it adds these two words, by comparison. You must hate by comparison everyone else. And that's really um, a good translation because that's how people would have understood this in the first century. They would have understood that Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point. In some versions, it just kind of translates the words literally into you must hate your father and mother. And we take that uh, as, as Westerners, we hear that and we think, oh my goodness, I gotta start hating them? And, and that's not the point Jesus was making. The, the language is rhetorical here. What he is doing is saying by comparison to being my disciple, my follower, it has to look like you hate everything else, even your own family, even the people that you love dearly. And we know the Bible says all over the place, you're to honor your father and mother. You're to love your family members. You're to care for them. That's very important. So the Bible is by no means saying that we are supposed to somehow hate our family members. But by comparison, it has to almost look like you hate everything else compared to following Jesus. And then he says, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, to be Jesus' disciple is to be a follower. And, and we think of um, follower, I don't know if we understand the, the gravity of what that means to follow Jesus. Sometimes we think of it like a fan. Like you get online, you see somebody's profile and you wanna follow that profile, you wanna follow someone on Twitter. If you follow someone on Twitter, the level of commitment you have to that person is about that deep. I mean, that's not a very committed follower. And if you're a fan of someone online or a fan of some famous person from a distance, that doesn't really mean that much. But to be a follower of Jesus means to actually listen to everything he says, to internalize and absorb it, and then to do it. It means to follow in his way and his walk and what he does, how he lives his life, everything he does. I'm gonna orient my life the way Jesus taught and the way Jesus did, and that's how I'm following him. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower, not just to listen from a distance, but to get close and understand and do what he says. And Jesus is saying here, if you're going to follow me, that has to be more important than anything else in your life, even your family, even your own health and your own life. Now, there are lots of groups and clubs that we can belong to, lots of groups that we can join. They all have different requirements for us. How many of you have an HOA? How many of you like your HOA? Because my wife and I decided to buy a house in a certain neighborhood, we have an HOA. And honestly, <clears throat> it doesn't cost that much. Um, there's a few requirements. You know, I can't put up a certain type of fence and I can't have a car up on blocks in my front yard, and those sorts of things. But honestly, the HOA doesn't bother me that much. It really does not affect my life on a daily basis. I very rarely think about my HOA. It's not a group that has a lot of sway over most of what happens in my life. Some of you are members of a gym. I'm not gonna ask how many or anything like that. You don't have to raise your hand. Um, most of us, when we join a gym, or most people statistically, when we join a gym, it's in the month of January, part of a New Year's resolution, and we keep it up for about three to six weeks. And then we just have to work up the courage to contact the gym and say, yeah, I really wasn't serious and you can go ahead and stop charging me 30 bucks a month. Most of us are not that committed to our gym. Um, some of us are you know, part of a job where there's certain requirements for us to be a part of it. 
And certainly we're, we're all in you know, some kind of a family relationship where we're either born into or placed into a family and there's certain requirements and expectations on us. If you go to school, there are requirements for you to be at school. There are some rules that you have to be a part of that. All of us have different groups and things we can be a part of. But my point is that none of these groups rise to the level of where if someone were to come to us and say, you need to stop being a part of this group or I'm gonna hurt you. There isn't a line we would reach where we would say, yeah, I'm out. If someone came to me and and said, if you remain a part of this HOA, we're going to hurt you or your family, I'd be like, okay. I don't care that much about the HOA. In fact, if my HOA said that suddenly all of our houses had to be painted pink, I would move. I don't care that much about my HOA. There's a line there with your job, with your school, with your gym, whatever it is. Your gym has requirements for you, right? Your gym wants you to pay uh, every month, and they want you to show up looking somewhat appropriate right? There's certain probably some dress code or something like that. Your school has requirements for you. Your job has requirements for you. And you may like all those things that you're a part of, but each of those has a line where if a line is crossed in some way, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop being a part of this group. And what Jesus is saying is here, when it comes to following me and being my disciple and part of this group, there's no line. There's no line that you reach where all of a sudden you say, I'm out. I'm not going to follow him anymore. He wants us to know that this is more important even than family, even than our own lives. You have to be all in. You have to be ready to take up your cross and follow him, he says. Do you know what that means? The cross was like the electric chair of the first century. This was such a shocking, radical thing. For Jesus to turn around to these people that were following him, the crowd, anytime the Bible talks about the crowd, they're not talking about people who are already his disciples, although those were also there, but they're talking about this larger group of people that's just checking it out. They just want to see, what's this Jesus guy all about that I've heard of? And he turns around and you would think he would give them this, this pitch, right? Follow me and your life will be wonderful. Follow me and it's gonna be just nothing but roses and puppies. You're gonna love it. You're gonna have fun all the time. We have the greatest coffee and donuts. Like, you're going to love being my follower. It's going to be amazing. Jesus was not like these people today who just try to build this huge following of thousands of people and say whatever it takes to keep those people around. And, and, and you know, the people that will threaten to, to leave or go follow someone else, it's like, no, 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 stay, stay. I want you here. That was not Jesus. Jesus pushed those people away. And said, so if you're not committed, if you're not all in, if you're not going to be a part of this thing for better or for worse then it probably isn't for you. It's a radical thing that Jesus did. And he turns around and he tells this group of people that are thinking about following him, you better be ready to sit in an electric chair. You better be ready to take up your cross. The cross was the method of execution in the first century. It was a horrible, painful thing, a very visible thing, a terrible thing to go through. And people who were going to be executed by crucifixion would have to take their cross or a part of their cross, and oftentimes they were forced to carry this all the way. Can you imagine the humiliation, the horror, the trauma of going through that, knowing that you are about to die and carrying the implement of your execution to the place where it's going to happen? I can't imagine that. And yet Jesus is saying, you want to be part of my group? This is what you got to be ready to do. It's a shocking, horrifying thing, but it's all or nothing. There's no going back when you're following Jesus. I'm fairly happy with my HOA, and I really love my neighborhood. 
But if someone ever were to come to me and say, you need to leave or we're gonna hurt you, I would definitely move. And I would leave the gym and I would leave all these other groups. That's not an option with Jesus. We have to be all in. There's no line. There's nothing that's a higher priority is what that means. Not even your own life, your own family. And I know that sounds severe. And so maybe Jesus didn't mean it that way, right? Maybe he's just exaggerating here. Maybe he's not quite taking it that seriously. But then he continues in verse 28. Look at it if you're there in Luke 14. Verse 28, he says, don't begin until you count the cost. You wanna be my disciple? You better count the cost. This is gonna cost you something. Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. (laughs) They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Have you ever noticed before that Jesus includes mockery (laughs) in one of his parables? They would say, look at that guy. Look at that crazy guy who couldn't finish the building that he started. This is a shame and honor-based culture. The idea of shame was a very, very big deal to them, even more than it is to us, and Jesus is using that here to say this is how ridiculous it would be to to start this project and then not be able to finish it. I recently learned about these homes um, called McMansions. They're abandoned McMansions in Missouri at the Lake of the Ozarks. I don't know if you've seen these. I found out about these like a month ago. This was supposed to be a $1.6 billion housing development with lots of expensive homes, very high-end businesses as well. But they ran out of money. And now a bunch of these houses just sit there half completed. No one's in them. Any of you that have built a home or, or bought a home know that you first have to sit down and do some calculations and figure out what's my income and what other bills do I have? What other debts am I paying? And will I be able to afford this monthly payment? And if for some reason when I do those calculations or I use that online calculator, whatever it is, I find out that I can't afford this house, I'm not gonna go try to get it. I'm not gonna go try to build it. That's the point Jesus is making. Who would set out to build a a house or a tower or a building or anything like that and not know that they can actually cover the cost and pay for it? And then he gives another parable, very similar message in verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, He will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Now, if you're this king and you've got 10,000 soldiers and you're going up against an enemy king with 20,000 soldiers, you better be sure that your guys are twice as good. Two to one odds is not something you want to take on without being very, very careful what you're getting into. And that's Jesus' point here. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Make sure you know what you are about to embark on if you're going to be my disciple. And so he says in verse 33, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Everything? Does that say what I think it says? Everything I own? Do I have to give up everything I own to follow Jesus? Let's be real. We're in West County. We got a lot of stuff. We got storage lockers with stuff. We got garages with stuff. We got basements with stuff. We just got stuff. Do we have to throw it all away? Jesus talked to the rich young ruler who said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, get rid of all your stuff. Sell your possessions. Give the money to the poor. Come follow me. Is Jesus saying here, you cannot become my disciple without giving up 
everything you own. Have we all missed the boat <laughs> by not getting rid of our boat? By not getting rid of everything we have and giving it up? Is that what he's saying here? No, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. Any more than he was telling people that they needed to literally hate their father and mother. He's speaking in a hyperbole. He's, he's using rhetorical language to say, by comparison, here's how much you have to be all in when following me. You don't have to give up everything you own right away. You have to be willing to give up everything you own. You have to be willing to risk it all, to lose everything if that's what it really takes to follow Jesus because this whole disciple thing doesn't work unless you're all in. Unless you're willing to put Jesus first above everything else you have. You may not have to give up all of your things, although it may be wise to give up some things. But if it came down to it, would you be willing to for Jesus? We don't understand this <clears throat> in this country very well at all. <laughs> we don't understand what it means to give up everything to follow Jesus. The people that Jesus was talking to understood this way better than, than we ever could. Because they lived in an environment where many of them, he's speaking to primarily Jewish people here, if they were to follow Jesus, in some cases, their families would just be done with them, would ostracize them. They might actually literally lose jobs, lose things. We don't understand this here. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world understand it way better than we do. There are some countries where to follow Jesus literally means you lose everything quickly. And we just don't understand that. I want to share a story with you from a man named Eric Cooper, he leads a missions organization uh, called the Stone Table. And the Stone Table is a reference from the Chronicles of Narnia, which I think is absolutely awesome. He, he writes this story about a missions trip that he went on with his wife. Here's what he says. We have a surprise for you. Our hosts were almost giddy with excitement. <clears throat> As they shared a secret, I was asked to keep to myself for the next four days. After nearly 30 hours of travel... And two nights of sleeping on an airplane, we had finally arrived at our destination. My wife and I were accompanying 13 students and one brave teacher on the adventure of a lifetime. Our goal was to expose the students to the culture, history, and spiritual challenges of a region where the tectonic plates of Islam and Christianity are colliding every day. We visited a mosque and talked with the imam. We witnessed the call to prayer. We met a persecuted pastor and his family, their church had been burned to the ground three times. We heard stories of how God had manifest his power over the witch doctors in the community. We bartered for fruits and vegetables in the local market. We ate food from street vendors. We learned the history and experienced the culture of the area. And we interacted with the business as mission workers that are utilizing the marketplace to proclaim Jesus and plant the church in this 99.9% .9 Islamic community. And that's where the surprise comes in. We found ourselves in the living room of one worker's home listening to the testimony of a local Muslim man who had just given his life to Christ three months earlier. We weren't emotionally prepared to hear his story. Since the day he trusted Christ three months ago, his father-in-law forcibly removed his pregnant wife from his home, saying he only gave her to him as a Muslim man, not as a Christian. He has not seen or spoken to her since. His mother and brothers locked him out of his home and took all of his possessions. He was left with only the clothes on his back. His brothers threatened to stone him 
a warning that could still become reality. And yet, here he was in a room full of high school students sharing his newfound faith in Jesus. They have taken everything from me, he said. What else can they possibly do? So with conviction in his heart and joy on his face, we walked with him from the house to an inlet of the Indian Ocean and witnessed his public baptism. As if that wasn't enough, the persecuted pastor we met just days before is the one who baptized him. Over a week later, he says, and I still get teary-eyed thinking about that moment. A surprise indeed. In this part of the world where it takes the average seeker seven years to come to faith, this baptism is the equivalent of a stadium full of people in other parts of the world. We also believe it's just the beginning of what God is going to do in this community. Stories like these are unfolding all over the globe, Eric writes. We hear the sword rattling and fear-mongering of principalities and powers, yet in the midst of it all, the kingdom of God is doing what it always does. It's advancing. Not in ways you will hear about on major global media outlets, but the way the gospel always spreads in and through the lives of individual people. I will never forget watching our beautiful new brother emerge from the water on that humid African evening when you interact with an unreached people group, when you look into the eyes of the persecuted church, it's humbling and transformational. Let me pass along their most powerful message to all of us. Jesus is worth it. That's what Jesus was talking about. Are you willing to give up everything to be his disciple? Are you willing to give up family and possessions and wealth and all of the great comforts that we enjoy? Are you willing to do that for Jesus? And I know that that message doesn't land with the same impact that it would if we were in another country where it meant something different to follow Jesus. And so I wanna take another aspect of this with us because it's different for every person. There is an element of counting the cost that doesn't include the kind of persecution that we're seeing here. And I asked some people this week to just give me examples. Give me some examples that maybe you have experienced of how counting the cost looks for you knowing what price you might pay for being a follower of Jesus. Here were some of the responses. A high school student who is mocked and excluded because she prays before meals. A woman who feels put down and distanced from her family because she trusts in Jesus. A couple that lost friends and got excluded from activities when they got serious about following Christ. A man who lost opportunities to advance at work because he wouldn't go to certain places with his bosses after hours. And on one hand, you look at this and you you think this is nothing like what our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing. But on the other hand, we have to recognize that there are some real consequences even here for what following Jesus looks like, and they will probably get worse before they get better. There are real consequences, real prices to pay, whether it's being fired for holding to biblical principles or kicked out of school because you take a stand for biblical principles or mocked or maybe even hurt in other ways. And and more of that may be coming. 
I don't really face persecution for my faith, to be honest with you. I don't. Um, in my line of work, my faith is an asset. I am not persecuted at work. But some of you may really experience that. Some of you may have to be careful what you say, and, and, and standing for biblical principles is a hard thing to do. And it takes wisdom and discernment to know when to speak up and when not to speak up and when to do certain things and when something is crossing the line. And more of that is probably coming. But what I struggle with more than the persecution piece is the priorities aspect of this. Because what Jesus is talking about when he says count the cost is not just the fact that you may lose family members and you may lose everything you own, but it's also the fact that you have to be willing to put that stuff so far in the back seat that by comparison to Jesus, who's with you in the front, it seems like you hate that stuff. Not that you're going to lose it all right away, and, and many of us may go our entire lives and never experience uh, major persecution for following Jesus. But do you treat all of that stuff like if you lost it at any moment but still had Jesus, it wouldn't matter to you? Is that how important Jesus is in your life? It's a priorities thing. I know it's important to spend time in prayer, and I know it's important to have a close walk with Jesus, but there are so many other things that pull away at my time. You got to mow the lawn. You got all kinds of stuff to do around the house. You got all that stuff you do for work. You've got all that family stuff you do, and there's reading, and there's, there's shows, and there's movies, and there's all these other things that are pulling at our attention, and if we were to really take an assessment of our time and where our energy is spent, would we look at that and say, yeah, Jesus is number one priority in my life? And maybe the message for most of us today isn't get ready for the persecution you're going to face this week. I don't know how big of a reality that is for everyone. But maybe the issue for us is that we, like the rich young ruler, hold on to our stuff so tightly that instead of us having a hold of it, it has a hold of us. We're like addicts who just want to collect more things and have more things and have more money. We put our trust and our security in those things instead of putting Jesus first in our life. And Jesus said, you've got to be willing to give up everything. Back to the rich young ruler. But Jesus said, hey, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And the rich young ruler couldn't do it because he had so much stuff and he loved it so much. It was his first priority. I have a theory about that encounter. I don't know for sure if this is true, but I have a theory about what Jesus might have said if the man came back, if the rich young ruler said, you know what? Okay, I'm all in. I'm gonna go sell everything I have and follow you. I just have this theory. I wonder if Jesus would have replied to him, very good. You value following me over all the stuff that you have. You've got your priorities straight. Here's what I want you to do. Go be generous. You don't have to give it all away, but go be generous to the poor. And you know what's gonna happen? God is gonna bless you with so much more than you have now so you can be more generous to other people. You know why I think that? Because we see that all throughout Scripture. This is the kind of God that we have. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Back in Deuteronomy, Moses says, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. The prophet Malachi says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Proverbs, Solomon says, the generous will prosper, 
Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And in the New Testament, Paul tells the Christians in Corinth, he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. He's talking about material resources here. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. There's something incredibly paradoxical about this, isn't there? That when we hold tightly to our stuff, it tends to slip away. And when it does, our faith is tremendously weakened. But when we hold loosely to our stuff, God tends to bless and give us more resources because we've proven faithful with what he's given us and so he's gonna trust us with more. It's, it's, it's kind of a paradox that God loves to bless us in this way. Peter told Jesus one time, he said, we've left our homes to follow you. And yes, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. This is the kind of God that we serve. He loves to bless us in this way. Now, I need to be clear. This is not a financial guarantee. This is not to say, all right, if you will just be generous, if you will just give lots of stuff away, then God is definitely gonna give you a lot more back. That's not to say that's a promise. He loves to do it, but that's not to say it's a promise, a guarantee. This is not a televangelist kind of operation here, okay? But God is going to bless you tremendously in this life if you're generous with other people. Maybe it's not always with financial resources. Maybe he's not gonna give you lots of money. Maybe it's with satisfaction and joy and, and spiritual blessings and, and a life that is so fulfilling and, and rewarding just because you just keep helping other people and giving things away. What's important is not the dollar amounts or, or the things. What's important is who's first in your life. Are you holding on to money and possessions because it's what matters most to you? Are you holding that loosely and being generous with other people and, and giving things away, not to try to get something out of it, but because Jesus is the first priority in your life? The question you and I have to ask today is, is Jesus first in our life? Are we willing to count the cost of what it means to follow him? And maybe it means I miss out on some things. And maybe it means I lose some relationships. And maybe it means I have to take a different career path or have less opportunities or face some ridicule or some broken relationships. And maybe it means letting go of more of my stuff, even if it's just because it's become a distraction for me and it's taken a priority in my life over Jesus. Maybe it means giving more generously to other people because too much of my trust is put in my financial resources right now. And one way we prove that our heart is in the right place is by choosing to store up treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth. And Paul actually tells the believers in, in Corinth he says, hey, look, I know I'm telling you to give a lot of stuff away, but he says, I'm not saying you should give everything away and make life hard on yourselves. So he's not saying you have to go become monks 
and get rid of absolutely everything you own. But what this means is that money cannot be our top priority. Things cannot be our top priority. Even our family cannot be our top priority. Sports and shopping and careers and friendships and houses and cars and education and everything else has to take a backseat to following Jesus. And Paul says in Philippians, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. The message of the Bible is that Jesus is worth it. Whatever you have to lose, whatever you have to give up, make him a priority in your life. In a moment, we're going to get to witness six people who are declaring that they are doing that. Just like the man in a faraway country was baptized, we don't have the Indian Ocean here, so we're just going to use this little pool right over there. It'll still work. And they're going to be declaring to you, they have decided to follow Jesus and go all in and be committed to him. We get to see that together. There may be other people in this room or or watching online who are thinking, you know what? I've never done that. I've never gone all in with Jesus. And here's my encouragement for you. If you're in this room afterward, we will have a prayer team stationed around this auditorium in the the four corners. And they would absolutely be thrilled if you were to walk up to them and say, I want to go all in with Jesus. I want to be his follower. I don't want to follow from a distance. I don't want to just be a Sunday Christian, casual Christian. I want to go all in and have a conversation with them about that. If you're online, you can let us know at efree.org slash connect. And we'll, and we'll get in touch with you and, and talk with you about what that looks like. We love it when people contact us online and we get a chance to talk with them. I'm gonna ask all of you, if you would, to just bow your heads with me. Let's pray for a moment. Ask Jesus to help us with this. Lord, you've given us this challenge to be all in, to count the cost, to understand that it may cost us everything, but even if it doesn't cost us everything, it should cost us something. It should change our priorities. It should change the things that we value. It should make us... Make us so that we don't have money and things and and hobbies and sports and all these other things that come before you in our lives, Lord. Help us to have the right priorities this week. May the the baptisms that we witness today be an encouragement to give us a a fresh strength in our faith and a fresh understanding of what it means to be your follower and and not just to, to do it from a distance, but to get close, to listen, to understand, and to do. Lord, to have a fresh commitment in our walk with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.